Welcome to HashiCast, the self-proclaimed number one podcast about the world of DevOps practices, tools, and practitioners. everyone. Welcome to another episode of HashiCast. I'm Rosemary Wong. And I'm Tracy Holmes. Today we have some awesome guests. First is Sarai Rosenberg, aka Insecurity Princess, which is a really cool tagline. Uh, and we also have Darshana Shivakumar from HashiCorp on the show today. It's going to be a security and vault related episode, and I'm actually really excited to learn all about it. So let's actually get to our guests, starting with Darshna and then Sarai. What do you do in the security space? Hi, everybody. I'm really excited to be here. I'm a product manager on the Vault team at HashiCorp. Most of you may already know that Vault is a tool that is used to manage secrets and protect sensitive data. On the Vault team itself, I work on core platform and intelligence, including functionalities such as monitoring, the audit system, the integrated storage backend, replication, the Vault UI, as well as other things. So Sarai, what do you do in the security space? Uh, what I do in security is going to be changing pretty soon as I move from uh, security engineering at PagerDuty to uh, security engineering over at Netflix on security partnerships team. Uh, a lot of what I do has varied uh, across multiple roles from doing PKI and secret management, going across to threat modeling and vulnerability management, working with customers and understanding their concerns about security of a product. So uh, a lot of kind of what I'm moving into is building relationships with teams to help them secure their approaches and building uh, standardized paths that everyone can use. Nice. And listening to the both of you, I will honestly say you sound like you will never be bored. Uh, that being said, I'm going to start with Sarai and then Darshana, I'll follow up with you. How did you all get into security in the first place? Like, was it a natural progression or was it something you kind of just fell into? So, I, yeah, I did kind of fall into security. Uh, I started uh, in a very strange tech role a few years ago. And the uh, CEO at the time asked me to do some research on security. And uh, it turned out I was extremely good at it. I was very good at research and very good at understanding security approaches. As a mathematician, I approach problems in a very different way than a lot of uh, computer scientists. Um, it's a great fit for a mathematician to understand risks and probabilities, find edge cases, and, and know when an approach is a genuine solution. Um, this proof-based approach and evidence-based approach is a very strong fit for a mathematician. Um, and that made it very easy to, to just fall right into security and security engineering. Nice, which is funny. I taught math. It wasn't my, it wasn't a, a, as natural a progression as I want it to be, but it was really, really interesting. I'll probably touch later on um, on that and how you would use what you're doing now and how you bridge it with your teaching background. So I'll follow up on that later. That's very interesting. I like seeing other teachers. Thank you. What about you, Darshana? How do you feel about it? Yeah, I would say that my story is similar to Sarai's in the sense that security was something I sort of fell into. 
So I've been like super passionate about data and intelligence for a long time and was drawn to HashiCorp to lead product for the intelligence workstream for Vault. And once I started doing that, I also delved into other areas of the product and security in the process. And there's just so much I've been learning about security every single day, and I'm really enjoying it so far. Nice. So that means I can tap you when I have issues with Vault and learning it? <laughs> yep. All right. Awesome. I mean, I'm more curious about if there's some special sauce, right, to designing a security product. Is it different? Are there different concerns because people expect additional constraints? Is there maybe even greater pressure to design something better? I'm curious to hear how, as a product manager, you think about designing Vault in particular. I would say as with building any product, right? Building security products requires us to really understand who our customers are, what their needs and pain points are, and what we can do to help solve those needs and pain points. However, with security products, I think additionally, it's super important for us to understand the basic tenets of security and include those in our product design considerations. So for example, one of the first use cases Vault supported was secrets management. And when we started thinking about secrets management and the workflows that go along with it, we agreed on some definitions as a team. One was what will Vault's circle of trust be? So circle of trust includes trusted entities that won't divulge secrets outside, right? It can consist of, for example, CPU, RAM, the secrets management tool itself, um, the cloud provider. And then once we understood what that was, we had to look into what would not be a part of that circle of trust. For example, persistent storage, if it's not encrypted, can't be part of uh, the circle of trust. We had to think through how some of those definitions fit into different workflows while building Vault. One consideration was that long-term storage had to be in the circle of trust always. And I would say some other things that are important are like compliance. Um, compliance is just super important for security products. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, when it comes to like cryptographic algorithms, um, I think we have to really look into existing design patterns see how we can implement those patterns, frameworks, or algorithms in a way that really makes sense for the product or you know, company that we're working at and the product that we're actually building. And I would say apart from that, there are just general like enterprise product building um, parameters that we need to take into consideration. So for example, where will the product be run? Like what type of infrastructure? Um, is it gonna be an on-premise product, something that's a managed service? How are distributed systems principles going to be incorporated in the product? And we also have to think about things like adoption, the end user experience, the ecosystem itself. So where does this product fit into the ecosystem of other things that our customers will potentially use, the distribution model itself, and so on. And as I said, all of these are you know, generic to any um, enterprise software product that a team wants to build. So I'd like to follow up on that question with Sarai. So Sarai, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how to design a good security product. So being a consumer of security products, what do you think makes a security product good? I really like where you kind of ended around, you mentioned uh, the end user experience. And I, and I usually start from thinking about that. What is the end user need? What is that user experience like? The, the fingerprint on like 
unlock on a, a phone is a great example of something that it, it finds a balance in a, a solution that fits well with a, a user's workflow, whether they're a consumer or a developer or another insecurity professional. Fingerprint unlock is something that is very easy to use. It's easy to configure. It fits right in because as the, as the phone sits right there in your palm, the fingerprint unlock is just right there. It's, it's maybe not the most secure solution, but it doesn't have to be. So that then goes into like, how do we communicate aspects of the threat model to users? So my big question, Darshna, is will there ever be a fingerprint scanner to unlock Vault or unseal Vault? <laughs> never say never. I would like to request that. I would like to formally request that as a feature of Vault. I, I expect it to be in the next release at the next you know, conference, et cetera. So just saying, subscribe <laughs> for that wonderful idea. <laughs> Um, so speaking of Vault, uh, Sarai, the way we actually met was that uh, one of my colleagues, Rob, reached out and said, I'm looking for people to give me feedback on open source Vault. So PagerDuty started using Vault many years ago, probably around like 2014, long before I joined PagerDuty. And uh, there's been a lot of changes to Vault in, since then. Uh, Vault has released many new features, such as fingerprint unlock. Just, just kidding. It's not that's not available yet. But there are great features in Vault that, that like making it easy to authenticate using various kinds of single sign-on, OpenID Connect, um, being able to connect it into Okta authentication. That wasn't available when PagerDuty started using Vault, and now it is, and it's wonderful and it's amazing. But it's also pretty hard to switch over to using some of these things. And uh, it, that's not on Vault's side. Vault has made it um, incredibly easy to use the APIs with the documentation um, that Vault provides, or that HashiCorp provides. Uh, there's tons of amazing tutorials and descriptions of the APIs that are usually pretty accurate and consistent and don't change very much. Uh, so I've been pretty pleased with all of the resources that HashiCorp has provided, especially to integrate Vault with all of the different tools. And there's always improvement that can be made. There's always you know, you know, different uh, libraries that, that maybe could use some updates, but the, the APIs and the connections, the tools have been pretty strong um, across like using Vault with uh, Terraform and Console and Nomad. Um, there's been a lot of great options for how do you use it? What is the best practices in putting these things together? Also, Kitty, I agree. I absolutely agree, Kitty. In the meantime, I am going to ask which, what is what are the names of the cats? <laughs> <laughs> so oh. my my older main coon here is Tia, and Tia means gazelle in Hebrew, because she has a little white tip to her tail. So I thought of a white-tailed deer um, when I adopted her. And um, up here we have Bina. And Bina means wisdom. We ended up with that because she was originally called Sophie when we adopted her. But my partner's name is Sophie, and she was offended by the idea that I would try to name the cat the same thing as her. 
Um, Sophie means wisdom, so we ended up with Bina, which is a Hebrew word that also means wisdom. Thought it was a good translation. Somewhere, somewhere out there is uh, our other cat, uh, Zila, which means shadow because we have two little black cats and they're little shadows. Oh, I love the themes. That's so cute. And they're giant dorks. So I, somewhere back here, you can, I guess you can only see this like little green eye sitting back there. But I have this toothless plushie. <gasps> and I got it just a few days ago because she is such a giant dork. She has this dorky behavior exactly like toothless. She just wiggles around and squirms and her con contorts herself into these weird body positions. And it reminded me of Toothless, the way she just moves in a very strange way and like sticks her tongue out and her eyes go wide. It's adorable and weird and hilarious. So cute. It was so interesting because I was actually listening to a short uh, documentary or like behind the scenes and they apparently based Toothless off of cat, off of cats. <laughs> Cats exist on some other realm of uh, <laughs> reality. It's not, they're not normal and I love it. <laughs> I am here for it. Uh, <laughs> that said, and Darshna, feel free to, to add on to this. Sarai, how do you feel about using Vault instead of integrated or inbuilt security options like, let's say, AWS's Secrets Manager? So as someone who has been operating Vault and Bryn, the primary go-to person for Vault expertise at PagerDuty over the last year and a half. Um, I would say that the, the, the most challenging part of that um, in comparison to using something like AWS Secret Manager is operating Vault systems ourselves that we've deployed Vault on in our own. We've built our own arch architecture within our systems and uh, that means we have to do all the maintenance on it. We have to do all the configuring, all of the hardening, um, think through the, the threat model of how do we operate Vault? We have to do threat detection on all of the Vault systems. We have to have alerting up on all of that. All of the operational work in deploying Vault is a huge challenge. And one of the things that I'm really glad to see, and I, I don't know if, um, I would love to be able to use it is um, the new Vault Cloud to, uh, I'm not remembering exactly what the, the new product name is, but having hosted Vault where HashiCorp provides that as a service, I, I think is an amazing movement forward. That is a great comparison against AWS Secret Manager and has a lot of features um, all in one place that don't really compare well to Secret Manager. Uh, I think some of the role-based access control in Vault is much easier to understand and use and work with. And it's harder to get wrong than with AWS Secret Manager. IAM permissions are incredibly hard. And we see this through S3 buckets that are open to the world. And we have these storage buckets that are they're public and we see breaches from that. And Sarai, I 100% agree with you. HCP is definitely one of the most exciting features or products that I'm waiting for this year, because you touched upon this very beautifully. It really takes away the heavy lifting of operating Vault from customers, right? And it provides you with all the benefits that Vault has to provide. Um, and for those of you who, who don't know, HCP is the HashiCorp cloud platform. 
It's a fully managed platform offering HashiCorp products as a service to automate infrastructure on any cloud. And the interesting thing is when we first started building Vault and some of our products, our customers wanted to run our software on their own, right? So they wanted more control over it. But as the years have gone by, they've been interested in consuming our products via the SaaS model. It's just, as I already mentioned, just takes away that heavy lifting, like operational work workload or overhead from customers. Um, then yeah, I'm as excited as you are for it, Sarai. So I noticed there were a couple of things that we touched on. First of all, uh, ecosystem. Sarai, you mentioned, you know, there's a huge number of integrations and some valuable things. What do you think is the most useful integration or useful kind of a plug-in to the ecosystem um, that you've worked with or you would love to use? Yeah, I would say that our our work around Kubernetes has been very exciting um, with just the growing Kubernetes ecosystem and popularity of Kubernetes, right? Um, we've released over the past year or so like an official Helm, Helm chart for Vault. We've done work on injecting Vault secrets into Kubernetes pods via Sidecar. Um, and yeah, I just think our entire Kubernetes roadmap and that that ecosystem is is something that excites customers um, a lot as well. So PagerDuty has been using Vault with Nomad and Console. I've found that the Nomad and Console templates for delivering secrets into containers have been very good. I think it would be great to be able to integrate that with PKI so that either on Kubernetes or on Nomad, to be able to deliver, to use uh, Vault's PKI engine to provide identity with X509 certificates, um, providing identity and authenticity between pods uh, in addition to providing mutual TLS. I think that's a really fantastic combination um, that I would love to be able to use something like that. Um, we've taken the first steps in that direction at PagerDuty. And um, also with uh, the OpenID Connect OADC, has been a great feature for making it easier to authenticate with Vault um, so that users can jump right in. Yeah, this was something I ran into actually because uh, I work, I was, I've been working with console and a number of people told me I configured Vault as a PKI to basically get, give certificates to console's service mesh offering, Console Connect. Uh, but what happened was, I guess, some people configured it in a way that there was the same certificate as the console control plane certificate. So rather than issue a separate certificate for you know, MTLS related to their applications, they were using a certificate that was very similar for, or that was based on the actual console server and control plane certificate. And so when they did the rotation, what happened was that they had manually configured one or the other and let the other be dynamic. <laughs> so the result was that when they rotated the secrets, you know, everything stopped working. Um, and it's been, what's been really interesting about this journey and some of the things that you're highlighting is like, you still have to put together a lot of automation within your ecosystem to do dynamic secrets correctly and to make sure you're always maintaining some form of availability for the applications and the systems that are using it. So uh, it was, it really spoke to me. I was like, you know, if I had, if we sort of backtracked and we had thought more carefully about where we were issuing certificates, how were we issuing it? What automation was there? What was manual? What wasn't? Um, I think we would have been 
more deliberate about how we design specifically our certificates and how they're rotated. That was very interesting to hear. So Sarai and I spoke a little bit about our journey into the world of security, um, but all of us here are involved in some way or the other with the open source community. I'm curious as to how all of you, uh, Sarai, Tracy, and Rosemary, got involved with the open source community in general and specifically with the security open source community. What does it really mean to be an advocate externally or internally? Mine's a weird journey. So as far as the security, specifically the security side of things, it's one of those things that I've always wanted to dabble in but never went back to Um mostly because of my background and I like puzzles and finding out how to get into stuff that I probably shouldn't get into anyway. So that's where that comes from, but I've not specifically had a chance to work in that area, open source of otherwise. So Vault will actually be my first time kind of dabbling on that side of things. Um, Engineering in general is fairly new to me, even though tech isn't. Um, Open source wise, my journey started back in Austin with women women who code. Um, And so that kind of went out into me becoming on their leadership team and that kind of thing. And so I was exposed to a lot of things, running Ruby workshops, the whole nine. It was great. And I was originally on the Terraform team as a, the provider team as a software engineer. So that one on the open source side is a huge community, um, especially around providers. Um, but in terms of my first foray into open source and security, it started because I was working with, uh, you know, working with a system in public cloud. And our development Jenkins one day was like spiking in CPU in systems. And so I was like, what is going on? I got the alert. I was like, what is happening? I was examining the the charts, the graphs. I was debugging the processes. And suddenly there was this weird process that kept spiking to like 80%. So I called over someone who was more senior than I am who could help me debug this. And he like looks at it a little further. He he stares and he starts like tracking the, the process, where it came from. Uh, you know, and it turns out that it was coming from a Jenkins plugin. And we were really confused why why this was happening. And what we discovered uh, and the senior engineer taught me in that moment was that there was a vulnerability reported as part of the open source Jenkins version we were using. Uh, and this plugin somehow injected itself was managing to exploit that uh, vulnerability and Bitcoin mine. So <laughs> I was... I was a a little shook at that point because it was like a reflection of my mortality as a systems engineer. Uh, And eventually I sort of went into advocacy because as I was learning, I was also teaching it to others. And I felt like I needed to not only be uh, someone who used the contributions, but actually really be someone who contributed. Uh, And that was where I ended up as a developer advocate and ultimately open source with security adjacent? Open source software for me, I've thought about it a little bit like a snake pit because you never know which one might bite you and which ones are venomous. So I I mostly avoided open source software other than like private projects and working within my teams on engineering projects because I didn't feel welcome. But I started running into little issues of, well, this isn't this isn't working over here, and I need this feature in order to integrate Vault with some of our systems. And so I started doing open source, um, more like public open source work and contributions, because I needed some changes. I I needed to to make some things happen, and it, it, I really just started with like 
small documentation changes. Oh, there's a little minor API issue over here and adding little minor features here and there to libraries and wrappers. Uh, it ended up leading me to uh, one of the fun things that I ran down a weird rabbit hole of trying to get PKI working and I couldn't figure out why I ended up with this error with OpenSSL over and over and over again because something was just not working with OpenSSL and the error came up via vault with, with uh, PKI systems. Um, and OpenSSL is a very difficult open source project to get into, um, both in terms of interacting with the maintainers um, and even just reading the code and going through and trying to figure out what is this like SSL context? What, where does this context path? How does this go from here to there? Where's it from? How does it relate to these like C rehash and what is this thing? Oh, OpenSSL does not make it easy. So my partner pointed me in the direction of Boring SSL because Google created Boring SSL to be the, the usable and comprehensible version of OpenSSL. And as I started using Boring SSL, which has a lot better documentation and instructions and comments, it led me to fixing a, an extremely minor bug. Um, but it was a lot of fun. And that led me into realizing that there are a lot of great places in, in open source software and maybe avoid some of the others. Do you all think that there currently is an, a language of intent for security? Like if someone asks you about, about um, front end, they're going to throw a language out at you. Somebody asks you about back end, somebody's going to throw a language at you. If somebody wants to know about CICD, there's something specific for that. But if someone came to you and said, so what could I use for security? What would your answer be? Because I don't have an answer and I really want an answer to that. <laughs> what is the link? Like, is there a language of intent? Everybody has security concerns, but there's no easy way to express it. When it comes to languages for security, it depends a lot on the application. So if you're doing threat detection, log analysis, it, a very quick scripting, scripting language like Python is a great solution for, because you need something that's fast. You need to be able to script up very quickly, run through something, change something, go back to it. And Python make, makes that very easy. Um, Python also has great data analysis libraries, statistical packages. And so packages is another part. What is the ecosystem of the language? And so when I think about languages for security, I think about what is the application? What is the security? What is the, um, how easy is it to use? Are there enough people who are going to be able to use it? And what are the uh, different libraries and dependencies and open source tools that will work with it? And so there's some languages, some of the newer languages like Rust and Elixir may not have as strong ecosystem as, uh, I mean, Golang is also relatively new, but Google has put in a ton of work into having strong integrations and cryptography libraries that integrate with something like Golang, where some of these libraries like uh, uh, the Libsodium and Tink um, have better integrations with some languages than others. So things like Python and Golang and Clang um, C++, they, they have a lot of great um, statistics packages and cryptography packages and, and libraries and wrappers across many different languages. Uh, 
and some of the other languages maybe don't have as quite as great support across I mean, how do you have a repository and package management and you know is the uh, the supply chain you know, what are the supply chain risks that come with that and some of the newer languages have much greater supply chain risks than others there are fewer eyes on it there's less attention on it and so there's going to be vulnerabilities that no one's going to see for quite a while i see that as a, a really big challenge for some other languages Darshana, I'm actually curious for you, when you work in intelligence, right, is there a way that you better capture what someone is doing within the system, right? Is there a language to that as well? So language of intent for insights and intelligence. So I'll take a step back. So when we talk about insights and intelligence, I think the basic building block is, you know, understanding how a product like Vault is doing from a usage and security perspective, and you're talking about metrics as a building block. Um, and once metrics are available and they're easily able to capture user behavior, um, consumption of resources, um, you know how users and applications are interacting with Vault on a regular basis, I think then it's about finding the right tooling as well as applications to build on top of it. So we, when we talk talk about applications to build on top of it, we're talking about like reporting. And in that case, we're talking about integrating with tools such as um, log monitoring or APM providers like Splunk, um, AppDynamics, and we're talking about like querying languages. So I would say that language of intent is how can we actually extract all of these metrics and provide them in a consumable fashion. And I think beyond that, um, the other layer is, okay, now we have all of this historic data. How, how can we use it to provide like intelligent recommendations in the future, like predict what behavior will be based on past usage. And there you're talking about more of your like Python and um, machine learning model type languages that will be used. I would say that again, like the language of intent very much de depends on what phase of that intelligence cycle you're at, whether you're like extracting data, um, in that case, you're talking about like ETL scripts or tools, whether you're like building dashboards and querying, whether you're actually like building a model to recommend something in the future. Sarai, I know that you have talked a lot about growing and training your team uh, and trying to build sort of a diverse team, diverse and inclusive team uh, at PagerDuty. So what is something that you've learned in that process that really helped? Something that attracted me to working with PagerDuty was, I guess it started with like the idea of making it easy to do the right thing and being empathetic and approachable, listening and collaborating. But in the interview, we talked about every, I think a lot of security engineers have had this experience where the company wants to, let's try to test all our, our employees by sending a phishing message out. And we really, felt very aligned because all of us had this insistence that we don't shame, we don't judge people. And it's partly within the team that we need to be able to create a space within the team and across the company. So within the team, we have to create a space where we can share our frustrations openly and work together to find like good solutions. We, we look, look out for each other, you know, we, we can challenge each other, but at the end of the day, we have a shared method, mission and we have to rely on each other making space for making mistakes and, you know, picking up from our teammates because, you know, everyone misses something and that's fine. 
but we still respect each other. We're still sharing knowledge, we're teaching and learning from each other. Those are the values that, that drew me to PagerDuty and that draw me to every security team that I would ever want to work with. Building, understanding what is the foundation of trust? How do you build that? How do you maintain it? How do you repair trust? And how do you create that space of psychological safety? And it starts within the team and understanding that the, the unique skills and perspective that any person can bring to augment the capabilities of the team. But it, it's also important outside of the team. And that's the other piece of building effective security teams. We have to feel successful in some way. And we only feel successful when other teams want to work with us. And that happens in part because of the same things, the same things that inside of this team, the same sharing of gratitude, not judging each other and not shaming anyone. We want people to be able to come to us and say, we have this security issue. Can we talk to you about this? I'm really embarrassed. I clicked on this link. And that should never be an employee's, we should never be putting that on an employee as you did this wrong. These are our colleagues. These are people that it's completely reasonable. Everyone clicks on a link sometime. Everyone does something that's, you, you, you receive a text message that says, click on this link because your order is you know late or something. And it seems reasonable. And then you put in your password and ooh, ah, that was uh, not the website that I thought I was clicking on. I thought this was from Apple, Google, whatever. And oops, it wasn't. Everyone does that at some point and that's okay. We have to make it safe to make mistakes. To follow up on that, for those of us who are out there that would like want to get into security, like, is there anything you recommend as a focus? And I know, and I come from a sysadmin background, a governmental one at that. So usually it's all about grabbing certifications like the CISP or CompTIA CYSA. And for those of you out there, that's the Certified Information System Security Professional Exam and or the Cybersecurity Analyst Certification. Um, and I will say, although it's a boring exam, the CISP, in a way, attempts to give you experience-based questions or at least project-type-based questions instead of just the droll, you know, multiple-choice type of thing. But would you say real experience is more than the certification and or both? Also, how do you use your teaching experience to tie in with that when you're training others to, do, to follow in your footsteps in, in so many words? I think I started with um, trying to, I was studying for the CompTIA Security Plus certification, just as a general starting point. And that was a, a great way to kind of get a general overview of what are the different areas of, of uh, security. And I never ended up getting the certification because I didn't think it was important and meaningful. It was the knowledge that I got out of that that I think was the, the best part. And some of it is kind of outdated and not really meaningful, but it gave me going after that breadth and getting the general perspective. I mean, it's great to learn the topics that, that interest someone. You know, I mean, I love little bits of, um, there's cryptography and we have tons of book on cryptography. As a mathematician, I am you know, pretty fascinated by like all the different areas of uh, cryptographic protocol design and how can things go wrong. And I know that there are a lot of people who are just really enthused by like capture the flag, CPFs and um, hacking, OS, CP going after things like that. Um, and yeah, everyone should go after the, the topics that, that draw them, that they're inclined towards. 
but I lean towards saying that everyone should learn a bit of breadth, learn what's out there. What are the different areas across everything in security? Because security is incredibly wide. I had never really considered um, something like incident response or threat detection to be an interesting area for me. Um, something like PDI is not something that that initially drew me as like, yeah, it's neat little cryptography things, but whatever, digital signatures are not that fascinating. But once I started digging into it, there's a lot of really cool problems in there. There's a lot of really great ideas and they, they interconnect across all of security. You start digging into threat detection or malware analysis and you get everything. Every aspect of security is in there. I mean, compliance is in there, there are security controls. How do you prevent this? Well, you, you implement a security control that matches up with this. You know, everything can be a security control, so there's compliance. But everything, um, every security control, every implementation is you know, some kind of uh, risk uh, reduction. So there's risk management. And everything builds off of like, what do you decide to do? What do you decide to work on? Well, that's risk management, threat modeling. It's, it just, everything is connected to everything else in security. So having a bit of breadth to understand the different areas will help you focus in on the things that are meaningful and be effective in the role when you start to specialize in that area. So yeah, start with the things that you're interested in, but having a bit of breadth partly gives you kind of the knowledge that'll connect you to these different things, but it also gives you the maturity to um, understand how all of these pieces are connected. It's really fascinating to learn about the breadth of security. And I'm curious for Darshana, because, you know, you know, if you're not a security engineer, you know, A, there's tons of breadth. So as a security engineer, you choose all of that breadth or you, you decide what you want to do in that. But if you're not a security engineer, um, you're either a product manager or you're a project manager, you know, what are the ways that you can be involved in a security product or in the security space, given that there's so much opportunity out there? Um. That's a great question, Rosemary. And I think there are a, a bunch of different ways to be involved in the security community, right? Um, the obvious one is you, you're building a security product at a company or you're contributing to an open source security product. Um, and then, as you said, you can be a security engineer or an operator and you're um, actually a user of a security product or products. And then you could also be a person who's not necessarily directly involved with, you know, building or using security products, but, you know, you're an observer, you're a reader, you're a learner in the space. And Sarah touched, uh, touched upon this um, very nicely um, when she mentioned that, you know, start with the things that you're interested in. So if there's some aspects of security that you're curious, curious about, um, there are loads of resources out there that, you, that can help you get started. Um, and you can do a bit of all of these different things, right? From the builder side itself, as you said, there are different stakeholders involved and engineering is a huge part. We have backend, we have frontend, we have quality release engineering. And the reason I call out all of these different functions is it's not just necessarily the core developer who's working on the APIs, but there's also user experience as part of security. There's also quality and testing that's part of security. Um, and all of those are you know, equally important roles and avenues to get into security 
And I mean, most importantly, there are a bunch of other stakeholders that are involved in building and delivering security products. There are UX researchers, designers, uh, developer advocates, product managers, program managers, support engineering folk, uh, pre-sales, post-sales, marketing teams, and, and many other teams. I'm probably missing some. Um, and all of these people in their own capacity are involved in making security products successful. So in short, there are lots of different ways to get involved, even if you're not necessarily uh, an engineer. Awesome. Thank you both for those responses. And so now we have our one final question for the both of you. We were trying to think of something that we could both relate to. So here it is. It's the, light, the slightly less serious question. If you were a plant, which one would you be and why? And we're both horrible plant ladies. So please let us know the answer to this question. I'll actually go first with mine, because why not? While well, people are thinking about the various species of plant. So I would be a snake plant. Actually, I'd be specifically the moonshine sansevieria that I have actually behind me. But it's a it's a very nice plant. It's fairly resilient, you know, likes just enough sun, but like not too much sun uh, and also does not want like a ton of water either, which I appreciate, you know, just because I don't I don't want to be like in, you know, in a giant puddle. So I, I'm not I'm not that kind of plant. Um, and so I would probably be a house plant that I already have. Okay, so I don't remember the name of this, but it's one of the, it's a cactus that has a spiral. And uh, yeah, this is a great little plant. It has little shoots that grow off to the side and it grows in this very slow, steady spiral. And I am just fascinated by the ways that it, it moves around and rotates. Um, it, I am fascinated by everything that grows in uh, spiral because it's all connected to some really fascinating mixture of like plant stuff. And um, it's oddly enough connected to the golden ratio. And there's a really great, um, is it this, uh, Viharp. Uh, Viharp makes these little mathematician um, videos. And she did one a while back on how plants grow and the ways that a plant rotates around and the, the, the leaves start growing in spirals and as it germinates and because um, there's this particular angle that they rotate through. And it's in order to have the leaves get the maximum amount of sun, but it ends up being uh, the golden ratio because that's the best way to distribute light. And the way everything coincidentally ends up just arriving back at the golden ratio, it's not a coincidence. Um, but it's also great because this plant is very accepting and forgiving and we have a nice little relationship because it keeps on sprouting more little friends and keeps on growing. And you know, I can forget it for a few days, but it forgives me and I can water it again and come back to it and we always, continue to have a strong relationship together because it can accept and it can live on its own and survive for a while without me. And it understands that I have other responsibilities and sometimes I lapse on watering it. I love it. I need one of those. It's so pretty. I'm looking it up and it is so 
perfect. Like it, it's so mathematically stunning. I don't even know how else to describe it. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm going to pick the neem tree. And I guess the neem tree counts as a plant. Um, I picked the neem tree because I grew up in India and was surrounded by a lot of neem trees. The neem tree just reminds me of growing up in childhood. Um, and for that reason, I picked the neem tree. Mine is going to be um, a hen and chicks. So I'm, uh, it, it's funny that I pick a succulent because I absolutely do not get energy for being around a lot of people. As an introvert, I get drained. <laughs> uh, but I love succulents because they grab, they grow. They grab what they can and they grow from just grabbing moisture out of the air and they're okay. And so I'm really big on taking care of other people before I take care of myself. So even if I don't get watered every, you know, but once in a while, it's okay. Yes, thank you. That's it. <laughs> Sarai just held up. My plant, sorry. <laughs> I forgot my for a second. Um, but the other thing I like about it is because I do have such a teaching mindset, like I'm absolutely about the light bulb coming on. I like that if I want to give my neighbor a plant, I can take two, I can propagate. I can take a couple of my pieces of my hand and jig, throw them in the soil, give it to them. And I look over the next day and there's something that I help grow. So that that's why I picked that one. And also it's because it was the very first plant my grandmother gave to me. So it's kind of like my little piece of my grandma. I still have that plant outside. So yeah, that would be mine. I feel like we've taken trips back to childhood uh, we've we found each other's plants in our homes. Actually, Darshana, I have neem oil that I use to protect my plants from insects. Uh, so a full circle, full circle, we all end up having some form of these plants. Unfortunately, we're coming up on time. Thank you so much for joining us, Darshna and Sarai. We really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you about security and vault. For those who are curious, you can tune into some sessions at HashiConf Digital in October. We have plenty of other experts who also talk about vault and security if you want to learn more. You've been listening to HashiCasts with your hosts, Rosemary and Tracy. Today's guests were Sarai Rosenberg and Darshna Shivakumar. Be sure to tune in next.